Welcome back to the Journey to Self podcast. So this week, instead of going into a guest story, I wanted to go into the different methods of opening up the mind. So if you, like me, have also been going on this journey to self, you're very likely going to be hearing about the importance of opening up your subconscious mind. So before I go any further with that, I want to bring up the Sigmund Freud three-level mind model, which includes the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious mind. Your conscious mind would be defining all thoughts and actions within our awareness. So for example, uh, the sudden feeling of joy that you get when you see your favorite animal. For me, it would be a panda and I would be extremely ecstatic. So uh, that is a feeling that I would be going through consciously because of how much I love that animal. Then there is the subconscious mind, which defines all reactions and automatic actions that we can become aware of so long as we're thinking about them. So an example with that, of that would be really just our ability to drive a car. You know? So obviously when we're driving a car, you know, when we first started doing it, we're always constantly thinking about the move that we have to make the ne- like next. If we're about to turn, we have to make sure that we remember to turn on our turning indicators. If we see a red light, we know that we have to come to a full stop. These are all things that we are now doing subconsciously once we have a few years of experience behind the wheel. And then there's the unconscious mind, which is essentially, in in Sigmund Freud's words, they are a, a reservoir of feelings, thoughts, urges, and memories that are outside of our conscious awareness. And Sigmund Freud actually specifically believed that the unconscious continues to influence behaviors even though people are unaware of the underlying influences. And that is a big, big, big thing when it comes to our decision-making as people. Because all parts of our conscious mind and unconscious mind and our subconscious mind, these are all things that influence the people that we are today. And this podcast really just dives heavily into people's stories through their subconscious, through their unconscious, and through their conscious minds. Because when we do our self-work, whether it's through therapy, through journaling, however means that we go about it, we notice that we've taken certain actions just strictly depending on some of the events that have occurred in our lives, but haven't really given much thought to. One way that has been coming up for people to go about exploring those events would actually be through practices such as hypnotherapy and past life regression. So with that being said, here to elaborate uh, this week will be Lauren Bruno. All right, so my guest for this week is a Connecticut-based spiritual life coach who specializes in hypnotherapy, past life regression, and therapeutic imagery. She's also the founder of her own practice called Hypnolution. Please welcome Miss Lauren Bruno. Hello, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing beautifully. It's been a lovely 
lovely morning, sunshine filled. So <laughs> I know that's all we could ever ask for. <laughs> um, so just let's start off by telling everybody just exactly, you know, what you do and, you know, how exactly you got to this point to where you're at now. Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, right now I'm a spiritual empowerment coach and I utilize a lot of different modalities to help women release pain, shame and guilt from childhood trauma or sexual trauma. And that's primarily my expertise in terms of spiritual empowerment coaching. And we do a lot of different modalities, including past life regression, like you mentioned, um, different types of therapeutic modeling and Visual imagery is very powerful for our subconscious mind. So it would definitely utilize a lot of that as well. Wow. That's honestly so awesome. I'm actually really curious, you know, what is, what is, what made you want to achieve your diploma in hypnotherapy and what was your career path looking like that got you here? Yeah, definitely. So um, I was actually a design manager for about seven years for a company called Big Mouth Inc. And we designed pool floats and fun inflatables. And I had a beautiful team of like eight people. Um, and our company, it was wild. I started, I was the fourth employee and we rose to like 45 people. So I really got to know the ins and outs of small business, which was fascinating. But um, what got me into hypnotherapy was I took a leave of absence from this position to go on a cross-country road trip for two months, um, driving. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, but seven days in, I was driving in my car in Texas, uh, near Austin, Texas, and mm -hmm. um, got into a very, very intense uh, tractor-trailer accident. So um, the tractor trailer's wheel came off, it turned me around in the highway, and then it hit me head on against the guardrail and moved away. And luckily, we were okay. We actually were able to even walk out of the car. Um, someone pulled off and called the cops. And it was really, really, I was like in that moment, <laughs> I froze and I could feel like my grandmother's energy with me. And I just kind of surrendered to like the spin of the car and let it happen. And I was in a very fight or flight state when I got out of the car. I was in like freeze mode. So that freeze mode was my um, trauma response. But um, what ended up happening was I couldn't drive the rest of the road trip. And when I went back to work, I had really terrible PTSD from driving. I could feel a lot of anxiety around driving. So I went to therapy and I tried a lot of different types of therapies. And hypnotherapy was one of those modalities. And it was so powerful. It completely rid myself of that PTSD, that anxiety around driving. And so I became really passionate about it. I, I began meditating and, and utilizing hypnosis almost every day. I would go into the woods more and um, meditate during lunch at work for about one minute to three minutes. And I worked my way up to about 20 minutes per day. And it was wild. Even my boss, when I was back as a design manager, was like, Lauren, something's changed in you. I don't even know um, you're handling tasks with more ease. You're able to stand up and kind of really explain your opinion with less anxiety. And it was true. And so he gave me um, a promotion. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting because as soon as I got that promotion, I loved my job and everything. I loved the people I worked with, but I wasn't as passionate about it anymore. And that's really what got me into hypnotherapy. So I went to the Hypnotherapy Motivational Institute to um, receive my diploma, which was really beautiful um, um, place to receive your diploma. It's a very in-depth scientific program. 
How long was that training process before you were able to get that diploma? It was one year. Honestly, it's funny too, because I know we spoke briefly about, you know, how we'll tie everything into the narrative psychology sector, you know, and just by the APA definition, I found it to be really compelling because it just made so much sense to the fact that it's like, you know, if you're, if you're thinking not so deep, like surface level, you kind of think like, oh, well, I mean, narrative psychology just sounds like you're really just telling a story, but there's so many more layers to it. Mm. Like just by like the APA definition alone, it just straight up says, you know, that you're, you're shaping your memory of your past events so you can have an understanding of the present and then Therefore, that will project your future events. And it also goes about defining themselves and just their lives altogether. How would you tie your practices into just kind of fitting that same criteria? Yeah, well, the power of a story and you're so right, just the way that they define our emotions is so fascinating. Um, I think it was something like Steve Jobs Apple was about to go bankrupt and go out of business and he didn't understand the power of the story. (laughs) So (laughs) it was like, they were trying to say all these facts and figures and, you know, this is why Apple is great. You know, you should use Apple, you should use iPhone products, all of this stuff, but no one really cares about those facts and figures. People care about the meaning, the passion, the drive behind why we're doing what we're doing and who we are and how it defines us. So Um, As soon as Steve Jobs figured that out, the power of the story, he started to tell the story of Apple. And that's when it it left it it kind of um, skyrocketed. (laughs) So it really is understanding not only our own story and why we're doing the things we're doing, but trusting and loving other people's stories and not being afraid to share our own stories. Of course. Absolutely. And it's so funny, too, especially when it comes to Steve Jobs stories, because of the fact that he wasn't always the most conventional kind of guy. Like, I remember even going into lessons about him in school. They had us watch the one of the Steve Jobs movies that had been out. This was prior to the Ashton Kutcher remake of it. But Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) it was the one scene that really stood out to me in particular that kind of opened up his mind so much to being receptive towards his own story was when they were all him and uh, his partners were together and they did the LSD trip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's it's funny even how many stories like that, you know, just they do like a round of like acid or they'll do a round of shrooms to get them to this state of consciousness that they never truly thought that they would have ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the most famous people out there essentially are doing the same thing. What do you make of all of that? Oh yes. There's so many different ways to understand more about our consciousness. So um, a lot of hypnotherapy is understanding our subconscious mind Um, and our unconscious mind. So our unconscious mind is basically just our automatic bodily functions, our fight or flight, that reptilian brain that's kind of just a triggered trauma response. And that takes up a really small portion of our brain. Not not too much of our brain power comes from our unconscious mind, but our body is still processing. It's always doing that work for us. Um, And then our subconscious mind takes up almost 80% of our brain power And that is based a lot on our childhood, past lives, and other different areas where we associate things positively or negatively, almost like 
like a positive thought would be cookies, the smell of cookies. It brings you an emotion of comfort and warmth. And maybe it reminds you of a memory of grandma's house or something. And that's a positive association that we may have. And a negative association could be something like a dog bit you as a child. And, um, you know, maybe you're an adult now and you're really afraid of dogs. You have this, this response, this fearful response to dogs. You can either shake when you see a dog or your heart starts to, you know, get tense and very excited or scared. And, um, maybe you want to change that. Maybe, you know, you want a dog for your kids. So this is where your conscious mind is aware of something that it wants to change, but the subconscious mind still has that automatic response to it. And this is where hypnotherapy can really work with the subconscious mind in order to drive those changes. So I know that some listeners might be really interested only because, you know, hypnotherapy has not always been a huge like conventional way of you know, going about facing those traumas in the past before, run me through just what an average session would look like for hypnotherapy. Definitely. Yeah, they are definitely not one size fits all. It depends on what we um, are talking about and what really drives that change. But usually sessions are about two hours long. And the first portion we go into um, cognitive. So we're talking and it's very therapeutic, but also with coaching and modeling more um, coaching patterns so that we can really question the root of the issue and the root pattern behavior. The important part about hypnosis and hypnotherapy is it's okay to bring up a little anxiety, a little pain right before we drop into a different brainwave state. So it's very similar to meditation in certain ways, but a hypnotherapist has more tools in the toolbox, so to speak, to drive that change. Um, And it's also understanding left and right brain dominance. A lot of us that are a little more left-brained dominant would be... um, less receptive to hypnotherapy. They don't really want that loss of control. So they might be a little more fearful of it, but, and they're a little bit more of the logical mind, very factual, analytical, but um, you, they can still experience hypnosis very powerfully. It's just knowing that linguistics behind it and right-brained people are a little more susceptible to hypnosis. They're very abstract and creative. We both have these, these powers within us, but we might have a little bit more area that has more dominance to it. I've noticed that actually a lot too. Really? I, I, I remember at one point, like even when I, the first time I went to like school, for example, my first week actually at uh, my college, they had for our welcome week, they had a hypnotist come in just, mm-hmm. you know, for just having a little fun. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting being able to decipher which one of those people is left brain or right brain dominant, just based off of, you know, how many people are actually being affected by the hypnotism and then how many of those people throughout the show get kind of that tap on the shoulder, you know, so they are good to go because they know that it's not really affecting them. And like, what do you, how, I guess, how would you go about really deciphering who would be left brain dominant and right brain dominant upon your first encounter with a new client? That's a great question. And I love how you uh, mentioned the stage shows because you're right on those shows, mostly primarily they'll choose right brain dominant people because they are, um, 
less inhibited to kind of just be goofy on the stage versus a left brain person might not really want to show themselves off on the stage or make a fool of themselves on stage. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really true that um, most stage hypnotists will choose that more right dominant person. Um, and we go by determining at this point, I can kind of really analyze it and notice those patterns automatically. But um, a lot of us that meditate and practice energy healing, we're very close to the middle. So there is a um, lot of questions that I'll ask prior based on childhood to really determine whether or not you're right or left brained. Um, questions like, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and felt you couldn't move your body or talk? That's a little bit more left brained, like that sleep paralysis. Um, a right brained person, have you ever talked in your sleep or walked in your sleep as an adult, that would be a little bit more right brained of a person. So questions like that would be something that I would use to determine left or right brain dominance. That is so interesting. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, and again, these are things that people don't usually normally think about unless they are on that journey of, you know, self discovery and finding what really works for them on just a normal day to day groove. Um, so I, I find your practices honestly so intriguing and interesting. And I know that other people who listen to this will as well. And I think this was a great way. I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background. Sorry about that in advance. <laughs> oh, so cute. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, again, I think it's so cool, you know, because I myself have only recently started this journey of just opening my mind up a little bit and trying to find, you know, a balance between like the left and right brain. Cause I would also say for me, particularly, I, I would probably be more on like the analytical side. However, in more recent years, I've been starting to kind of open up my level of cre creativity a little bit. So I think I'm trying to figure out my way in the center. And mm. what do you normally recommend for those people that do kind of look for that balance? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, I was thinking about past life regression because it's been such a powerful um, tool for not only me of being a little bit less fragmented, understanding a little bit more about myself, my patterns and habits, understanding more about maybe karmic patterns or soul contracts. And that's a whole spiritual level, but um, also breath work. Breath work is absolutely a powerful, one of the most powerful ways to utilize more of our consciousness and um, equalize our left and our right brain hemispheres. Um, EDMR, those it, hypnotherapy is very similar to EDMR where we're using right our eye movements to really um, move into more creative ways of living or more logical ways of living depending on your needs. And so um, that's very powerful. Um, Getting in nature always, I really highly recommend it. Um, it depends. So say you're a little bit more left-brained and you want to express yourself more creatively um, and abstractly. Dancing, ecstatic dance. There's so much power in ecstatic dance and movement of our body. It doesn't need to be exercise all the time, but truly playing with your arms, letting your arms flow around and dancing. And it's actually very grounding for our root chakras and really grounding into the earth and into the body. And I also work with the chakra system and energy healing with Isui Reiki as well. That is awesome. Honestly, so, so cool. Mm -hmm. um, and just based off of, you know, everything that you have experienced, everything that you have ever learned, uh, just to go about tying this back into the narrative psychology, you know, what would you say your current understanding is of the present day? 
whether it be you or us as a society, what would you say your understanding is? Wow, that's a very powerful question. It's like this present day, this present moment, this moment with you right now is all that really is, is us experiencing life in this moment as often as we can. But when we step away from the present moment, it's like time isn't, I don't see time as linear. I see time as it happening all at once. And we have multiple layers of time within us. We have the past, we have the present, we have the future, and we have parallel. And um, there's many paradoxes that are existing in this world, in this life. And I think especially with that we've seen this past year, um, the duality of nature and and how can we as a society understand each other more with more compassion? I think that's where um, where a little bit of the mission lies for sure. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with that so strongly. And it's so funny too, because you're right. This, this past year's events especially have honestly opened my eyes. And I know a lot of people in my generation's eyes as well that you know, we're realizing that time is just this weird, like social construct that just we've, we tend to focus a little bit too much of. And that's why I think sometimes we get into these patterns of, you know, like when we're becoming workaholics, we're just so focused on getting tasks A, B, and C done just because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's no time, but then also, you know, we have the other end of it when you know this whole pandemic basically shut down the entire world and it open it forces us really to kind of open our eyes and look within ourselves and just kind of be like what am i doing right now (laughs) i think there's a little bit of good to come from that as well oh yeah most definitely being able to step back and and have that time to be still and do we really want to go back to normal do we want to or can we start to um, revert some ways of living. Like you mentioned, do, do, do. That's part of our culture of the first world. Um, you know, it's, we have so many privileges here and we're so lucky to be in first world countries, but at the same time, we have this mindset that we need to constantly be working. And it's almost like, um, our ancestors, like the farmer's mindset, like wake up at dawn and work all day until, sunset. (laughs) And that's, that's when, you know, your crops will prosper, but that's not a way of thinking anymore. And I don't think that's a way that we'd like to, as a society be anymore. I agree. I think that we're, a lot of us are all starting to kind of see that, you know, there, there's no reason for us to be kind of like slaving away all day long, just, and missing out on all the good that we could be experiencing of the world and all the good that we could be making of the world as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So in a way, it almost seems like we we kind of needed this to happen in like a strange, twisted way. Mm. But also going into really just what kind of, uh, in terms of the future, what do you think that your predictions of the future would be within your field? Within my field, I really do feel like it's going to take off. I think people are starting to understand more of the power within themselves and um, building. It's 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 funny because we are creatures of change. We want change, but we can get so comfortable in our own habits, our own patterns. And that's the ego. That's the ego that just wants to feel comfortable with all of those old, old patterns and habits and beliefs and systems. But 
to drive change, we really need to step into that uncomfort, uncomfort a little bit. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. And I think with my own field, that's what it is. It's driving change faster, easier, and um, with more flow and really embodying more of our authentic voice with less fear. I agree. I like that a lot. And I, I also agree in the sense that your field will most certainly be blowing up very soon. I mean, I think it's already come such a long way because even going back to like when I was younger and even in my like development years, like when I was a teenager and then early adult, you know, these concepts of hypnotherapy and past life regression never once have come within close to my radar and Mm -hmm. had it back then. I feel as though like my life and how I carry myself, it would be so, so different. I, uh, of course, was there any last thoughts, you know, that you wanted to share with any listeners? Um, <clears throat> I would love to talk a little bit more about soul fragmentation and understanding our past lives and how important it is to experience. And I didn't re- recognize how powerful past lives were until I really was able to reprocess the amnesia I was facing, basically. And the thing is, you don't have to believe in them. You really don't. But I do believe that we are pulling more of our souls into our body and we have less amnesia. And many of the nightmares we might experience can be from these past lives. That's something that happened to me. I had lots of nightmares of war and war would come up in my dreams very vividly. And I didn't know why, but I went to my my hypnotherapist and we went into past life and that was a whole life I lived as a child, a little Middle Eastern boy um, making naan in the kitchen with my mother. It goes very deep. And so this is the interesting thing when people come to a session and they don't really believe it, but they're interested and want to experience it either way. They can feel the emotion of this other person's life. They feel the effects of it. And this is where we really understand more about some traumas um, that we could be carrying. I had another past life. My first past life I experienced was very similar to this life now. It was fairly simple. I was a poor Swedish girl living um, with my mother and, you know, scrubbing clothes. And I was... I did experience a rape in that past life. You you feel safe in those moments because you know that you're experiencing this, but your conscious mind still knows that you're in the seat, in the home, you're safe. Um, but it does, it allows you to release something from your physical body that you wouldn't have known prior. And um, that was a cause for some disassociation that I had around shame of sexual trauma And so this is one of the reasons why I also go into sexual trauma is because I believe a lot of us are very fearful to speak about the shame that we have that we're holding revolving around sex and our own sexuality. And um, talking about it more is so important. Experiencing more of the collective understanding of it is so important as well. That is incredible. Oh, my gosh. I... You know, that's something that I'm probably going to want to look forward to exploring a little bit more. You know, Mm -hmm. I've always in the back of my mind, like I've always wondered, you know, what kind of past life I've lived. And I usually assume that it's like somewhat a little bit dark just because I 
even when I, I was obsessing over the concept of narrative psychology, there's just always been something about me when getting to know other people that's always wanted to know really just the deep, the deep rooted things like mm-hmm. their, what their traumas were, what they, what they had experienced that they felt had set them back at some point in their lives and how they really kind of grow up to kind to just come up and rise above all of the things that they have experienced in that life. Yes. Yes. It's rising above and it's understanding more. It becomes like a bigger picture. You start to embody more of your soul and you show up as more of all of these aspects because you're losing pieces of your identity in this life, but it's okay. It's like, it's rebuilding more of your soul because our soul is so pure and our human bodies (laughs) like to process things and think about things and overanalyze things all the time. But, um, as we allow ourselves to feel more into our soul growth and um, understand more about our soul, then we become less worried about the day-to-day and overwhelmed about little menial tasks or matters because there's a bigger mission in our hearts. Absolutely. Would you say that you believe that our souls are in fact infinite or do you believe that you know, in a way we can always reincarnate as not necessarily another person, but say like, you know, we can come back as like a tree or, you know, Mm -hmm. any part within nature. Do you think that, you know, we have, we do this infinitely or do you believe that our souls do eventually expire? Yes, that's a great question. Um, Personally, I do believe from my experience and um, my spiritual teachers and guides that we reincarnate on this earth and we have been animal consciousness and we work our way to kind of embodying more consciousness. And yes, the trees, they, that we can speak to them. They intermingle with each other. They're but, the reason we breathe. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, but as we're evolving, we become humans. And then once we become humans, that's where the karma starts to lie. So the reason that we're still incarnating on this earth is because of this karma as a planet, as this 3D planet. And so um, we reincarnate to clear out not only our karma, but karma of a collective. So when we're understanding more about the quantum field and, and we're pulling in more of our own psychic abilities, because we all are very psychic in a lot of ways. We all can um, experience even telepathy. I don't know if you've had the same dream of someone at at one night or um, been able to predict something in a dream of the future. We do have this ability and it's tapping into those more, our clair abilities, clairvoyance, clairaudience, all of those beautiful abilities that we have, clairsentience. And these are just um, clairvoyance is being able to see very visually with your mind, symbols, images coming to mind. Once you're in that deep state, especially because symbols will pop up randomly and there's reasons that they're there. Um, and clairaudience is being able to hear, hear spirit or hear um, certain things guiding you along the way. And clairsentience is feeling, you can really feel the emotion. So be, being very empathic, it's, um, being able to really feel the vibration of other people. And so as we're tapping more into these psychic abilities through all of these different modalities, then we can learn more about ourselves. 
but also be able to master them a little bit more. So it's beautiful. I actually forgot the question. <laughs> no, that it's okay. <laughs> I think you you pretty much answered it mostly to a T. Though, and it's so funny because you brought up being able to kind of project our our futures a little bit because most of the time when I dream, I get deja vu dreams really? all the time. Wow. To a point where like, I remember at one point I started to cons uh, consider the idea of like, maybe I'm like some sort of psychic or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are. So tapping into it more and, and um, even asking for it a little bit more. Asking for these gifts is really powerful way to understand them. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't fully understand my clairvoyance until I started doing this, this um, work and, it's really, really powerful to be able to connect with my clients and see kind of what they're seeing and tapping into and saying something in my client being like, oh my God, I was just visualizing that right before you said it. So that's, <laughs> that's where it's so beautiful and powerful to be able to, you know, call in something and know that we are connected at this quantum level. We really, truly are. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It all starts to make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I, I feel like we could go on and on forever, but I always like to leave the option for my guests. Where can they find you to follow you and just, you know, honestly keep collecting more information? Because I think that you have so many good points to bring up. So I just, it'd be wrong for me not to be able to share it. Oh, thank you so much, Taylor. Yes, you can find me at Hypnolution. <laughs> H-Y-P-N-O-L-U-T-I-O-N at Instagram. And I also, um, you can find all my links there. So it really is kind of my primary place where I make connections and meet like-minded souls. Um, also, hypnolutiontherapy.com. Awesome. Seriously, go to Lauren if you guys have ever thought about, you know, any past lives that you could have been living, how you want to go about shaping your, your, pre your present and your future, give Lauren a call. She is incredible. Thank you again so much for joining me on this, Lauren. I think this has been such a eye-opening conversation. I personally learned a lot. Oh, thank you so much, Taylor, for having me on. You're such a beautiful, awesome person. And I'm so lucky to be on your, your podcast. Thank you again. You as well. Beautiful. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Lauren just as much as I did. I made sure to put all of the links onto the bio for this episode so you can get in touch with her, even book a session for hypnotherapy and past life regression. There is also a link for the I am affirmation guided meditation that is, of course, led by Lauren. Make sure that you give that a listen. And of course, I am now on Instagram at Journey to Self Podcast. That again is at Journey to Self Podcast with your host. That is myself, Taylor Edgecombe. And my personal Instagram is at Taylor Says Hi. That is at Taylor with two R's says hi. And I hope to see you guys all next week. Bye, guys.